Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are wrapping up horror, which makes me sad, but also I think there's a part of me that's probably like, okay, you need to take a break from watching so much horror. That'll last for about a week, and then I'll go back to it again, (laughs) since it's my favorite genre. But we are wrapping things up with a discussion about us. Sadly, we were supposed to have Tiff and Carla on, but both of them aren't on. But we have two great panelists. Bex is returning, who has been on before, who was on our Superstore episode and also One Night of Our Horror Trivia. And then her co-host for their podcast, Big Reputations Podcast, Kimberly, is on as well. So I'm really excited to have both of them on. So, But before I have them introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now in pop culture, just a quick note that we are available on Patreon right now. I promise, since this is dropping Friday, that our bonus Lucifer episode talking about the series finale, I promise that will be up there. I I apologize. I, that's an extra episode that I've been trying to edit, and I'm just, my life is so, 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 so busy. I can't even begin to explain to you listeners what my life is like. So I apologize, but I, I am determined that will be up here, up there by now. You would have heard a preview, but if you want to hear the full episode and hear all our thoughts on the finale, you want to become a Patreon supporter. So head on over to the link in our show notes or go to any of our social media and click on link tree and the link is in there. So Bex, what are you into right now? Okay, uh, this is an easy one. Easy one. And I don't know if it'll, <laughs> I'll be able to come up with something else in the future, but Ted Lasso, absolutely 110% <laughs> Ted Lasso obsessed. Have watched it through three and a half times now. Um listen to three different podcasts about it listen to brett goldstein's podcast called films to be buried with uh, not all of his because there's like hundreds of episodes but um i've listened to a handful of those uh i even am i've made some new fandom friends in that realm and one of them is doing like a book club coach beard's book club so it's going through all the books that appear in the show wow. and um yeah, we just did Dharma Bums, and that's a terrible book. I did not like it at all. <laughs> but there you go. Ted Lasso, absolutely obsessed. Can't help it. <laughs> this is the third time within the last month that that show has been recommended. And as we mm-hmm. stated, and it was because of Bex, and I actually stated <laughs> on the episode, we will be doing an episode covering Ted Lasso next year. Yes. Because there was no way I could fit it in this year. But we are going to do it next year. And I think the panel is already full. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to sneak her way in there for sure. She's already on there. (laughs) I'm one of them. (laughs) She suggested it first. She's already on there. Yep. Yep. And Kimberly, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you for coming on. Hopefully it's the first of many. Uh, So what are you into right now? I am very into you on Netflix. I don't know if you know about it, but it's uh, yes. Joe Goldberg. He's a hopeless romantic slash murderer. <laughs> um, I just love that show so much because it's like 
all these horrible things happen and he's so close to getting caught and always just wraps itself up in like the most perfect bow. But something's happening now that's more interesting. Um, there's a thing happening on Twitter between him, uh, Penn Badgley, Cardi B and Netflix. They've all decided they love each other. So there's lots of tweets happening back and forth. Cardi B's default picture is Penn Badgley and Penn Badgley's picture is Cardi B's. Netflix is doing, um, they're putting like Cardi B lyrics to photos of uh, clips from the show. And it's just like a whole nother world happening there. And it's like, I love all those things. So them together is like the fandoms expanding. It's, it's awesome. I love it so much. Thank you so much for saying that because I was wondering why Penn Badgley's <laughs> and why you fixated that as well. I was like, what's going on? And I didn't look too hard to find out, but mm -hmm. we actually did talk about you. We for, we talked about the first two seasons of you last year and the stalking for love trope that I mm -hmm. think that thing is, is calling out. And I actually was going to mention you as mine too, because oh, I finished nice. you yesterday. I, I will say... I don't like the third season as much as the first two seasons. Oh, I no. Say that. No. Mm. I mean, and I'm like, I, I have a hard time, you know, I don't, did you finish the whole thing? I did finish it, yes. Okay. I'm not going to say the full spoilers, but I'm just going to say I have a hard time with the fact that there's going to be a fourth season because I don't know what else they're going to do. I'm well, it like, feels like they're going to start over. They have yeah. to, like, they have this yeah. whole, like, it's kind of similar to Dexter where, like, he gets this yeah. family and I feel like that's when Dexter, like, got kind of crappy, but now, I mean, that's You're a spoiler. Invested. I'm invested. And also like, it's, oh yeah, it kind of has a clean slate. So like we can start all over and it's going to be, I'm excited for what they're going to do with the fourth season. Yeah. I just I'm wanted excited. to comment that there's like a, a trend here. We've got some, it's all about pronouns. Today we're talking about <laughs> us and your favorite show is you. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. And well, Dexter, We'll be premiering this next Sunday, the new season. Which I, I'm excited. I'm trying. I know I should be tampering my expectations, but I don't care. The original showrunners back and Michael C. Hall. Okay. And just being able to watch Michael C. Hall again as Dexter. That's all I care about. <laughs> I, I'm just. I'm worried that last season was. It, it was atrocious. So disappointing. And I loved Dexter. So I'm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I'm gonna wait and see what people think about it before I start watching it. Because I just. I don't want to be disappointed again. But I'm excited. And Michael C. Hall is great. Yeah, I would love to see uh -huh. him do something. But I don't know. I'm worried. I'm, I'm, I'm cautious. I know. Yeah. I'm. I'm being too optimistic, and I'm not an optimistic person. But <laughs> we'll see. Okay, well, let's get into us, the other pronoun that we're talking about. <laughs> That's so funny. So I want to first go around and just get everybody's impressions of the film, like your first impressions. Yeah, you know, I I was really looking forward to it when it came out because I had loved Get Out so much that I was like, oh, this is this is going to be amazing. I didn't I didn't know if they were in any way connected. I didn't really look up anything about it in advance. I wanted to go into it kind of blindly just to just to fully appreciate it you know I will say you know I I loved it I loved when we walked out of the theater my husband and I went to see it together we just like we took all this time breaking down like well what about here and he he doesn't believe me but from the very first therapy scene when the mom said she's not my little girl I was suspicious I really, oh, really thought like they had switched places, but then I kind of forgot about it as the film went on because all these other things were happening. And then when they were, did the, I mean, 
people listening to this, this isn't spoiler free, right? Oh, you can spoil uh, away. Plus, this is, yeah. I mean, this movie's a few years old. If you right. haven't seen it, it's on you. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't mean the show you. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I knew something was up and like, I don't know, when they revealed that at the end, I was like, I knew it. I knew it. But, you know, I didn't want to say anything early because, first of all, we're seeing it in the theater, so I don't want to be, like, making comments. <laughs> but also, like, it's not fun to spoil those things. The downside to that is you, no one believes you. <laughs> when, when you get to the end, you're like, I knew that was coming. But, I mean, I guess I didn't know, but I was, I was definitely uh, suspicious of that moment, so... I have the same feelings. I was very suspicious, but I'm the opposite. I have to let you know if I'm right. So I said to my now husband, I was like, I think that they switch places. Like I let him know right away. I don't care if I ruined it for him. I needed to let him know that I was going to be right. So I'm the opposite in, in that world. <laughs> That's funny. So you're like, I'm going to be right. And then you yeah. were, was it like. <laughs> I was right, but I was like. It, I was right, but I wasn't happy that I was right. <laughs> but I oh, was right. you weren't happy you were right? Yeah. Oh. So so what were your first impressions of the film then overall, Kimberly? So like before seeing it, I was just very excited that there were so many dark black people on screen. Like that was amazing. And I was very mm -hmm. excited for it. While I was watching it, there wasn't a lot of jump scares. I liked that the the horror and the fear of it was just more of a sense of dread than, you know, being like a gory horror film. Yeah, and I mean, my first impressions, I mean, I was excited to see it in the theater. I didn't get to see Get Out in the theater, so I was excited to see this. I think Jordan Peele is an amazing horror filmmaker, mm -hmm. and like I've said, that's my favorite genre, so I was excited to see it. Uh, it was it was a packed theater, and it was interesting watching uh, the audience's reaction to it and the reactions to the twist at the end as well. I didn't suspect it from the beginning. I guess I'm... <laughs> I don't no, no. I think I think, I think towards the end, like the mm -hmm. last when the last interaction between the tether and her, and between and then the way that it, whole thing played out, I was like, oh, they switched. Bet they switched. Right. And then so it was kind of like I didn't know. I wasn't sure. And then that being revealed, it made sense. And I will say, I, I have a fear of rabbits. As oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> so weird. It's like the only animal. Like sharks don't scare me. Snakes don't scare me. Bunnies are scary. <laughs> and so the whole opening shot of just their <laughs> their red eyes. Yes, that, that was, was terrible. <laughs> and I had totally forgot about them by the time we got back to the underground. I was like, oh, oh really? right, the bunnies at the beginning. But of course, <laughs> I'm not afraid of bunnies, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different for you. <laughs> I know it's a ridiculous fear. I understand. Listen, that. I'm afraid of goats, so <laughs> it's it's fine. I am like petrified of goats and their really? beady little eyes. <laughs> That's what it is with bunnies. I'm like they have beady little eyes. So <laughs> many people are. So many things and creatures are like predators and can get them. So I think they will. They want to eventually take over and get us humans. <laughs> like oh like Benicula. Did you yes. ever read that, Benicula? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There, there are lots of things that kind of. Well, I had, I was bitten by a rabbit when I was oh, really no. young, so I think that's kind of. A goat <laughs> tried to eat my hair. See, See? these are <laughs> rational fear, rational fears. They are rational, yes. <laughs> yeah, very rational. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, but I, I loved, I loved the score. I loved the yeah. use of music. And here, especially uh, in one particular scene, I don't know 
if we want to get to it now, but just the, the scene when, when um, Elizabeth Moss's character's like, call the police. Oh my God, yes. Play, uh, play Fuck the Police by NWA. That was like the most perfect. <laughs> that was just betraying her. That was so great. It was. I We were laughing so hard in the theater at that scene. So that yeah. was great. That, that, I would say that moment actually surprised me more than the reveal that they had switched places that really there was more tethered yes than just her family Mm -hmm. so yeah that one i was like oh wait they're gonna die (laughs) i definitely i let out a gasp and it felt like a different movie like when the twins are on the balcony Mm -hmm. and then the, the bear killers show up behind them i was just like what is happening this is a different movie now because i really thought it was just this family and now yeah. it's like, it's everywhere. Oh, my God. Like, it, it became a different movie. It, like, leveled up for me at that moment. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Yeah, because that you don't know that, really, because no. you have no clue what's going on completely. And, I mean, it just keeps building and building, and you keep learning more and more about it. Yeah. So I want to talk about the Wilson family. And I want to get your overall impressions on the Wilson family, Bex. And your favorite of them, too, you can say. Oh, I, I mean... <laughs> Well, let me talk about them in general. So first, one of the things that we were really, we talked about after we left the film was this idea of portraying an an upper middle class black family, right? That it, so classism doesn't really come into play in the same way that it might in, in other horror films, right? They're college educated. They've inherited this summer home, right? They have this like keeping up with the Joneses or the Tylers, as it were, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it's this idea that like success is sort of measured in, and not necessarily physical objects, but there's sort of a, an economic uh, connection mm-hmm. to success. And I think this shows through most with Gabe, the father, right? Like he, he's walking around with his Howard sweatshirt. So, you know, like he's not just college educated. He went to an HBCU. This is, and, and that's like one of the top ones as far as I understand it. Right. You know, but he is really kind of, I don't, I don't think he gets it even more than the kids don't get it. But he's like, let's set some like home alone style traps. And like, it's, it's too, <laughs> it's too out of his reality to, to yeah. even grasp that it could be real. He's like, I don't know what to do. Home alone. Uh, l- let's try that. You know, <laughs> like obviously Adelaide knows what's going on or at least is super suspicious of what's mm-hmm. going on and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, he's the hottest one. Yeah. <laughs> uh he's pretty dreamy, especially with those glasses on. <laughs> but- There's something about a man with glasses on. That's <laughs> I know. A shame my my husband has 2020 vision, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say my favorite family member is is Jason, the son. Uh, because he's really the smartest one that isn't aware of what's actually going on, right? Like obviously mm-hmm. Adelaide knows what she knows, but He's really observant. Mm-hmm. He's the one who says they're us. Yeah. He's the one who like takes the kid to play in the closet and realizes that they're doing like these mirror mimicking things and then locks mm-hmm. him in the closet and like has hi- like he's the smart one. <laughs> 
yeah so and and of course like him knowing the truth at the end like mm -hmm. we don't get to know if if um zora and gabe ever learn about no. No. the underground but jason knows and mm -hmm. and that look that they exchange at the end i think that's like the most unsettling part for me of the whole movie just, but I sorry agree. we'll get to that we'll get to that later <laughs> yeah yeah because i because i do agree and i do definitely want to talk about that yeah and kimberly your overall thoughts on the wilson family and do you have a favorite my favorite it has to be gabe just because wilson duke is amazing but i really liked this family and they were really believable as a family i don't think i've liked a family as much since like poltergeist like the one with joe beth williams uh, yeah mm -hmm. it was a really relatable family they talked to their kids like they were little adults like their kids were just really chill they weren't stereotypical like the little sister like didn't always like the sister didn't always like the little brother but she stood up for him when like the twins were on the beach making fun of him like they're just a really good family i really enjoyed mm -hmm. them yeah i liked how believable they were um it did like how gabe was just such a man in that scene where um the family comes in he's offering them the boat and the wallet and like she's like red is laying out this whole plan and he's just like excuse me um we can give you money and it's like that's not what this is about <laughs> yeah but he's just like trying so hard yeah so he's mm -hmm. definitely my favorite he's just such a a goofy dad and i really liked that like how excited he is about his crawdaddy boat and going to the yeah beach, trying to rally everybody <laughs> like he's trying so hard he's such a good lovable dad it felt very almost kind of 80s like this happy mm -hmm. dad who just wanted to be there for his family mm -hmm. yeah i agree and especially his he has the best dad jokes <laughs> so yeah. i'm like yeah. you don't need the internet you've got the outer internet <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of and yeah the scene of him on the boat mm -hmm. and just watching the face of his family like oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> like again with him he's like, but like you get the it's not just vacation mode like he's always yes. like <laughs> But you can yeah. also see that they they still love him and they still exactly. like they're amused by him more yeah. than anything right mm -hmm. like oh there's dad being dad again and yeah, yeah it's just like when he turns around and scares them all in the car because they've yeah. fallen asleep like all that <laughs> i can see my dad having done that kind of stuff you know mm -hmm. so yeah i like that what you said kim about him being relatable mm -hmm. yeah and he's such a good you could tell he's a really good father and he's such a dork and i mean that yeah. as a compliment i think mm -hmm. i love seeing that with men being more portrayed like that i think is nicer sometimes i mean like even when he's lying in bed like you know you know he wants he wants to have sex you can tell <laughs> and he's like just the way he's lying there is really kind of dorky but so yeah. sweet and endearing at the same time and that like, bed i want to go that, how he's like six five where was she gonna sleep like he's That's so true. big on that bed <laughs> It was so comical. There's no space for her. I mean, like, I assume I that go. was like like her childhood bit, not her childhood bit, but because that was like her mom's summer home or something yeah, like that, it right? Was her family. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was definitely like it was not a queen size bed, even. No, no. And he just looks so comical in it. Like he's just yeah. such a big dude. Yeah, yeah, and and. The home alone line just cracked me up. It also made me feel super old when the kids are like, what's home alone? I'm oh, like, oh, yeah. That's when I questioned their parenting, though. How did their kids <laughs> not know home alone? They're at least like, what is the girl, like maybe 14, 13? Like, they should know home alone. Yeah. I mean, see, here's the thing where I get thrown off with that is my brothers are 15 and 18. And they are familiar with 
those movies, like the the 80s movies. But why? Because they have siblings who are in their late 30s and 40s. Like my parents are, they were young parents for the, the two of us, but they're old parents for the two of them. And so they would show them like Back to the Future and Home Alone and Ghostbusters. And my brother used to call the first Tron movie, Tron the original classic because apparently there's a remake so he called yeah. it the original classic but like still he had seen it right so yeah i mean <laughs> parents show the show the nostalgia movies to your kids <laughs> it's just good educational entertainment you got to show those old movies exactly exactly yeah and, and we're gonna get into the performances soon because i think it's hard to talk about adelaide without talking about the performance because what is being done here is just is just incredible. So we're going to talk about that in, in a little bit because it, it should have been nominated for an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I actually looked. I was like, was this nominated? I feel like this should have been nominated. What? Well, no, yeah, she should have been. Genre films often get left out of that, unfortunately. Yeah, they really but, don't like horror. Yep, they don't, unfortunately. But she really should have been. I mean, because it's just... It, what Lupita does with this is just because she's playing two parts. Yeah. I mean, everybody is playing two parts. So yeah, but she's really but playing she's two really parts. Play, she's almost playing three parts if you really break it down in a way. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah, and I love the kids. I love Jason too. I agree on Jason. And you know, watching Jason in the scene when they're in the car and Adelaide is outside of the car and Jason's tether is standing there. And you watch Jason watch his tether and he's like, oh my gosh, it's a trap. And that's when you know like he's going to pull up the match and blow up, try to blow up the car. And that was so smart because I think it was also, that also maybe gave you the hint that even though you didn't realize it, you were kind of attached to your tether and you could almost read what they were thinking as well. And then he was so smart to just back up and to make his tether back up. So he's, he's super smart and I just, and I just think it's a realistic family and it's a f it's it's nice to see that and it's nice also you know we're spoiling the whole thing that none of them die i just think that was a really nice thing too to see so but i do think it's also interesting the order in which they're tethered die and that kind of shows you something about the strength and weakness of the above ground family members like honestly gabe is the weakest link of the family his tether is the first to go. I mean, he's not weak. Don't get me wrong. Like he puts up a good fight and he, but he is the one, you know, as we talked about who like really just doesn't get it the most. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there's something with, with that too. I don't know. I just made that oh, connection that now as you were talking, but well, I think I'm going to stick with it. There's something that the tethers don't have. Like the, both of them have like the muscle, like they're physically strong, but Gabe is clever. So that's yeah. how he gets him in the boat. He puts the thing around his, the rope around his ankle. Like he remembers that the boat leans. Like that's how he gets out of that situation because he's clever and like the tethers aren't, but they have their same like physical buildup. Right. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah, because it's like, and we're getting into the tether. We're going to get into the tether now because it is very much like they do have all that physical strength, but being down where they were in those underground tunnels, which you know, I didn't realize there were so many underground tunnels. Yeah, that's really <laughs> creepy, right? Like, we live in a place with subways, but yeah, like... Abandoned subway stations, too. And there's just... So, my husband is a uh, 
transit operator. So okay. he has to go through the train stations and he's shown me videos that he's taken just of all these abandoned stations that we just stopped using. Like chairs, like it looks like people just left it, like their crew rooms, it's spooky. Um, I would never, I couldn't do it. I'm like, how do you just walk through here? And he's like, you have to. And I'm like, you don't, like I wouldn't. There's no <laughs> way. It's very creepy. You don't, you can find another job. Yeah, you can find another job. That would be the day I quit, I think, when they're like, okay, just walk through this tunnel and uh, get to the other side. And there's just like all these crew rooms. Yeah. It's, and I'm like, there could be people living down there because they're, they're it's spacious. And we just, no one goes down there besides train operators every once in a while. So it's very creepy. And there's oh. lots of abandoned things in New York City. Yeah. yeah, and we're just a tiny little island. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's lots of abandoned things here, too, that we, yeah, and I mean, there's Mines. also, yeah, well, there's also, like, where I grew up as a kid, it was actually a place that very much like Poltergeist, except for it wasn't suburban at all, was built over a cemetery. There's this huge area in Colorado, this is real, no, thank and you. they didn't move a lot of the bodies, so. Oh, gosh. Of course they <laughs> didn't, know. because why would they? That's horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it was a whole you thing. You moved about the headstones, but you didn't <laughs> yeah, move the bodies. <laughs> yeah, I have to yeah. go watch Poltergeist. Oh man, I haven't seen that in such a long time. And then go back and listen to uh, its fandom thing yeah, episode on Poltergeist because yeah. it was a good one. Thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's the very first horror movie I ever saw at like six years old. I think it's the first one I saw, but I was not six. I think I was at least <laughs> twelve, maybe ten. I don't know. Yeah, six. I had great babysitters. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about the tethered. So, Bex, what are your thoughts on the tethered? Well, I love the tethered as a name because, and then you've got the scissors as the visual. Like, it's not like mm -hmm. they're they actually have to use scissors to cut the tie between them, even if it they're stabbing one another. But I, I just really love the idea that everyone has a tethered, which is so creepy, especially when she's describing that, like the government made these doppelgangers to like control the people above ground. Right. And so it was like, they were their puppets, but then they're like, nah, this isn't working. And they just give up. But it really talks about like, you can be the exact same person, but you don't have the same opportunities and this is what will happen to you. Right. Yeah. You know, like I said before, I was shocked when I learned that they were tethered for more than just the family because uh, watching it back a second time recently, I picked up on the the homeless man with the Jeremiah 1111. Yeah. But I didn't get that the first time. I just was like, oh, that's creepy. He was dead and now he's not. Or is it an illusion? Is it like at the that was really early in the movie, so I hadn't really figured any of any of that out. Like, hadn't picked up on the the red jumpsuit thing. No. Uh, one thing I picked up on rewatching was that um, I'm, I'm going to say Addie, but the above ground version of her. <laughs> yeah. That she had the same grunting and panting patterns as the tethered did. When she was killing them. And I again I didn't pick up on that the first time. And it was like, oh, that's another indicator that she was actually like that they actually swapped and everything. You know, and my other theory about the uh the Jeremiah eleven eleven guy is that he's kind of like Addie, um, where the real version of him got trapped underground and the tethered one is the one that existed on top. 
because of the way he's smiling when he's just standing there, I was like, oh, what if his tethered had done the same thing to him that Addie's tethered had done? And like, I mean, maybe it's just a, a strange headcanon, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I think that's really like the freakiest thing. Doppelgangers are super creepy. Yes. <laughs> and to know that, like, especially you see that scene where all the motions that they're going through are the exact same motions. They just don't have access to like the people pretending to be on a roller coaster. They're going through the same motions and the screaming, but they're not getting the like endorphins of the actual ride and the, the enjoyment of it. I don't know. It, it's so, it's so creepy, but it's also like that simultaneous, like how sterile it is in the underground. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. I'm really having a hard time articulating this one, but they just like the tethered as a concept just really blows me away. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a really good concept. Yeah, Kim. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love the idea of being at war with yourself. Like um, mm -hmm. Zora, the daughter, when she has to like take off and run, her doppelganger starts like stretching because it's like, guess what? I'm a runner too. So it's like, mm -hmm. how do you? How do you, they know all your tricks. Like, how do you win? Like, I just think the the concept of the tethered is is so amazing. It added a, a sense of helplessness. Like, you don't want to kill yourself. Basically, that's mm -hmm. what they had to do, right? They had to, to kill versions of themselves. But this person knows everything that you know. They're just not as good as at it. Like, I think of a scene with um, Gabe's counterpart where he's pushing, like, fake glasses on his face. Yeah he doesn't have that you know and then when he takes the glasses it's like whoa this is a whole different world like I can do more things now and I do wonder if they would have had a little bit more of a head start how more successful they would have been mm -hmm. hmm. yeah yeah it yeah, I mean it's so much of it ties to that like I don't know I mean we'll we'll talk about it probably a little bit more uh when we get into like what it's saying but like mm -hmm. there's just so much about what access you have being yeah. a huge part of the story mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's so much under there's so many different ways you could analyze the tethered i mean there's also a good argument to be said that you know the way they had to live their life is horrible and terrible because it's like you know there was no real living it was just being underground not being able to see the sun not being able to see the sky and having to just eat rabbits and then having to just, you know, basically not have your own being, um, your own agency. And so I think that's a lot of what they're also trying to say is you see that, especially with, with Adelaide. And of course, once the reveal is revealed, you really see that where it's like, you know, she was the above ground person and then she gets trapped down there and then she becomes the tethered and the tethered becomes the above ground person. And so that whole thing of having agency and what you do to get agency and then also being at war with yourself i think a lot of us in real life are at war with ourselves constantly you have your brain your mind can be an evil thing honestly it can tell you horrible things it can you know that's where your self-doubt is you can always be battling with it so you could also say the tethered represent that so it's this it's so interesting because you can analyze it on so many different levels and I know the Jeremiah thing was analyzed a lot when this movie first came out. I know right after I saw it with my sister and my sister and I'm like, okay, we're going to look this up. 
and just see what this has to do with it, you know? So it's that kind of thing where it's, where this is a movie that I think takes more than one viewing and even more than two viewings. I think there's a lot of stuff going on that you might not pick up on. Like the fact that when they're, when um, I've got five on it is playing and when Adelaide's doing the snapping her fingers and she's not on rhythm at all. And that's just so interesting just because of the twist at the end. <laughs> you don't know oh, that yeah. has anything to do with it, but it mm-hmm. just kind of could be a little hint that's thrown in there. You know, that def- I, I missed yeah, that I one this that. time <laughs> around too, but I like that. Yeah. I remember that was actually analyzed a lot when the trailer dropped and that scene was in there as people were mm-hmm. like, isn't it weird that she's not actually snapping on rhythm there yeah. she's saying to to her son to do that but then she's not doing it is what's that a hint about i just so it's interesting to watch it too and go, oh yeah love analyzing yeah. them <laughs> <laughs> me too me too so that's why i love doing this podcast <laughs> so dive deep well i want to talk about the performances because i think all the performances are amazing i mean lupita is above and beyond (laughs) and it's still just such a crime that she was not at least nominated because i mean i think people thought there might have been a chance just because get out got so many nominations but again there's no respect for the genre and stuff they're like like you already got your nominations horror is done for another (laughs) decade before we give it a nomination (laughs) exactly yeah yeah i could do a whole podcast on that (laughs) the disrespect this genre gets is is mind-blowing when I think this genre says a lot more than a lot of other genres do but anyway we won't get that but (laughs) what are your thoughts overall on the performances I mean you said it Lupita Nyong'o is phenomenal in this film that just the the roles that she plays the the voice training that she had to do to to do Red's voices like oh and and to really sell that, you know, whether that's a consequence of, like, her throat being crushed when they swap places or whether it's uh, probably a combination of that and, you know, not being able to speak in the underground because that would sort of give away her otherness. Yeah. Um, but just when she does that voice, it's just like, oh, wow. Like, Yes. All the nominations, you know. Winston Duke is dreamy. I said that before, you know. But um, but again, all of them, and Elizabeth Moss, all of these actors having to play two roles. You know, they're they're doing two films at once. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, it, as a as an actor, you've got these these different roles to put on, and and making the characters have enough in common with one another that you believe them as the same, like that they are tethered to one another yet having enough distinctions that you recognize how, how the underground would have changed uh, their, their interactions with everyone. I mean, I top to bottom, I, there was not a single performance in that film that was like mediocre. It was, it was no. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Kim, your thoughts on the performances? I just, I loved how physical it was. Like you could feel all the tension in Red's character, like just from the voice and like the one eye just like tearing up while they were speaking. 
all of it was so intertwined, like the voices, the eyes. I love the choreographed ballet slash like martial arts scene where at the end, like, oh, she should have won all the awards just for that alone. Like, I definitely think it was, it was really well done and it was absolutely terrifying. Their movements were so jerky. And I guess like, it's a very physical thing to have to be that tense, but also fluid at the same time, like if that makes sense. Um, I do like what you were saying, Rebecca, about how they still had like characters from like the tether to not like with um, Elizabeth Moss's family, like her husband's still goofy. Like he does a thing where he's like reaching for her and then he like slides his hand back to swipe his hair. Like yeah. he's still goofy. Oh, he's but, Yeah, I know he's, he's, he's terrible. Like I feel like both versions of him are terrible. Yes, um, <laughs> but the performance is, it's great. Like this guy, the tethered version of him is, is goofy and doesn't know why, but is still murderous. And I just, I love the, dichotomy of it that they're still themselves but there's a murderous aspect to it so i like that you bring that up because there was this one moment where elizabeth moss's character sees or her tethered yeah sees mm -hmm. the husband the tethered husband killed and she goes to the window and there's like this silent scream and you don't know at first yeah. if it's silent because oh, she's through the hear. window or yeah. or if you know she's she can't make a noise or what mm -hmm. and at that moment i thought oh so they're tethered are really like kind of the opposite because uh red had mentioned like it didn't matter if i was in love with you know abraham i had to be with him because he was connected to who you chose up here and so i thought wow maybe they actually did get along and then she just starts laughing maniacally and i was like oh mm -hmm. nope nope they did not <laughs> Well, and and when she's putting on the makeup, when she's looking in the oh, that is so creepy. <laughs> oh creepy. yeah, she does. Elizabeth Moss does such a good job of being yeah. creepy. I kind of I want a movie where she's just very happy and just has like a wonderful life because every movie she does, like something That's horrible true. is happening to her, and she's so good at playing like these broken characters. She's just an amazing actress, but. I want like a nice romantic comedy. Yeah, probably the day. closest we ever got <laughs> yeah. to that was her character in Mad Men. And that's far from okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's far from yeah. okay. But like you at least so, had moments where you're like, mm -hmm. oh, she's happy right now. Yeah. She needs a break from she does. all the torture. She does. She's she so good from. at it. She's so good at it. She is. She's very, very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably why she keeps doing those roles. But yeah. Put her in a little nice little lighthearted romantic yeah. <laughs> she can do it yeah i mean just echo all the performances are great i want to talk about the kids quickly because oh my gosh these two are amazing amazing actors because especially the creep when they have to play creepy and it's not like over the top or over dramatic it's just little subtle looks they get on their faces. And I know I'm going to mispronounce her name. So I apologize. I'm so bad at pronouncing names, period. But the actress that plays Zora, Shahad, I don't know how, I'm sorry. Shahadi, right, Joseph? She is, oh my gosh, she is so good in the scene when they're out on the street and she's getting ready to run and she's doing the stretching and yeah. she's as the tethered. And she's got this, the smile on these, on all the tethered faces are just, the creepiest smiles in the world but that smile she gets right there is just it's like bone chilling and also just even playing the non-tether just playing the above ground person is she's amazing too as zora 
And then Evan Alex as 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 Jason is just he's just so good, such a good actor, you know. Because you know it can be hit and miss sometimes with child actors, I think, but they are both just so incredibly talented and so gifted. And you know they, that's a that's a huge huge job to take on for anyone, especially you know? with the two roles too. Like this yeah, exactly. That's what, yeah, yeah. I always wonder about kids in horror movies and like the filming of it. Cause obviously they don't have to show everything that you're exactly reacting mm -hmm. to and whatnot, but like, I feel like it would be traumatic to just, even to have just acted in a horror movie. Well, I know yeah. when, when we entered, we just re we recently interviewed Brian Boswell, who, you know, is most famous for being in uh, family ties and playing the young, you know, the young kid that they have later on in life. How am I forgetting? The blonde kids? one? Yes. The, I, the I, blonde I kid? I don't, I don't remember his name either. <laughs> but he played, because I interviewed him at the Colorado Horror Festival, and he was there because he played a really bad, like a bad seed kind of kid in a horror movie. And I asked him about that. I asked him, you know, was that difficult as a kid? Because his mom got a lot of, his parents were like given a lot of crap about that and said, you should never have your kid do this. And he said, no, it was fun. He's like, it was so much fun. He's like, because I knew I had been on set so long. I knew this wasn't real. Yeah. I knew this was fake. So it was more fun than anything. And I actually like horror movies. So that made it more fun. So I, I think it probably depends on the set and the way the set sets it up. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Because <laughs> I know for some of them, when they're doing really like I've, I've read stories when they're doing really intense stuff. Like the kids don't actually see some of that stuff, right? Like the way they shoot it, so that they don't have to, you know, endure actually with that. see someone be beheaded, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but I think just because you know if they've been in the business at all, they probably know. You know, it's pretty when when you work on a film set, when you get on a film set, you know, when I was in film school, that it ruined movies for a while because it's so technical. It's so, I mean, that's yeah. why I say it's a miracle a movie ever gets made because everything, one little two minute scene can take you like hours to just mm -hmm. shoot because you're shooting different angles. You have to make sure everything kind of matches up. You could have sound issues. You could have other issues and it kind of blows the mystery just goes out the window. So you no longer have that kind of thing. So it's like, it kind of blows the, the mystique goes away of yeah. films at first, but yeah, but that's why it's amazing. They ever get made. So and there's <laughs> lots of people working behind the scenes. Remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's why oh. you should pay for your movies and your that, streaming services. <laughs> that. And also I say that because we've, we've talked a few times recently about IHC and supporting that union and mm -hmm. remembering that it's not just directors and producers and big stars that it's you know you have that whole crew there too so yeah yeah so it is a miracle but yeah I do wonder that too and I wonder you know I was wondering about Lupita and, and her voice and I wonder if she hurt her like how she did that without hurting her voice well I you I actually what? read an article on that because I was curious and um she had a, a voice trainer to okay. work with her so that she she wouldn't hurt her voice because yeah. she knew she's yeah. like I've got to do the scenes where I talk like a, a normal human who's been above mm -hmm. ground and so yeah she she went through a lot of like she had a voice coach and everything for that so mm -hmm. yeah well like most horror movies uh, this is talking about a lot of stuff I think this film has a lot to say about race class and the 80s I think that's another big part of this is the 80s 
And not just because you're showing like hands across America, although that is a big thing that's shown in here, but also a little bit of trivia. In the opening scene when they're at the boardwalk, uh, and they mention there's a movie being shot. Do you know which movie it is that was being shot at that time period in reality? The 80s on the boardwalk in... Oh, no, no. I feel like I should, though. I was say Jaws, but I feel like there was no nope. boardwalk in Jaws, so not Jaws. The Lost Boys. Oh, oh, yes. So that's the movie that was actually shooting, and that's kind of what that was in reference to, was because they were you shooting. want to go be there. an extra? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get your thoughts on what you think this film is saying about all those things, about race, about class, and about the 80s. And even if you want to comment about Hands Across America, too, Bex. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to this idea that the opportunities that we have in life are everything, really. You know, what people have access to impacts how their life is going to sort of turn out. And I mentioned at the beginning, but having this sort of upper middle class family uh, was was really important because it drove home the privilege that they had without it necessarily having to be about race, right? It wasn't, oh, you know, the... Wilson family mm-hmm. versus the Tyler family. It was the Wilsons versus themselves, right? Or a version of themselves in the tethered. So there's a lot of a lot of privilege in that. I think the line when when they ask, what are you? And Red answers, we're Americans. Like yeah. that it, it's saying like we're the same as you. Mm-hmm but we're not. And here are the reasons why, or well, like we see what the reasons are throughout the, um, the hands across America bit with the, everyone in the red jumpsuits holding hands. It's like, <laughs> it adds an added layer of creepiness. But when you're watching that commercial in the beginning of the film, if you look closely, you can see little Addie's reflection in that mm-hmm. TV and so it's not just him show like uh, Jordan Peele putting that on at the beginning to to set us in the time, but actually, like this is something that she was taking in, right? You know, this is what she remembers as like this attempt at equality from her childhood, mm-hmm. like oh, everybody's the same, let's hold hands and and all get along, kind of thing. And so I think that's why it's part of the inspiration for her. Obviously, she has the T-shirt that's under her thriller t-shirt as well so she she brings that with her to the underground i mean i saw this film it was just a film it's about oppression the human condition the american experience classism marginalization i do think race is a part of it but i don't think race is the primary thing in in this film whereas like get out it clearly was, right? That was in your face, here we go. But again, you had, you know, this black kid versus this white girl and her family in that film. Whereas here, it's them against themselves. And so I thought it spoke more to like socioeconomic status than anything else and and just access poverty. If you know, the the father's educated at Howard, but the guy in the underground, like, he doesn't have the same, like, even if he had to sit through these classes that <laughs> that mm-hmm. um, that Gabe sat through, he didn't actually have the materials to learn, 
he didn't have the language to to understand it you know it sort of shows this duality of american society i guess um you know some some can live on top in society while others are trapped in this cycle of poverty and like literally living underground in this case makes me think about um parasite oh that's where, an interesting comparison where mm -hmm. like the the wealthy family lives up on the hill and the the yeah. poor family not only do they live downhill but they live underground like their their apartment is underground so i don't know huh yeah you know i think it shows how we can ignore the the consequences or the rewards of privilege that there's a cost to the things that we get the things that we think we deserve and and that's usually at the expense of the marginalized right so like i think i deserve to have nice clothes that don't cost a lot of money so what does that mean it means somebody's making low wages to create that clothing for me or you know whatever there's tons of examples and i think it's one of those things that it's we really need to recognize that a good part of our privileges come from luck you know it's what we had handed down to us it's what we had access to what makes my life different living in this country versus another country me having white skin versus someone having black skin me being you know whatever fill in the blanks with all those things but it's not we can't just believe we deserve these things and that's and and so we're good and we can go about like not thinking about anyone else or the consequences of what we have that's a lot i had a i had the most no, for that, that answer no that was great no that was that was really and the parasite thing i hadn't even thought about that but that's yeah, a really yeah. interesting I, comparison again just came up as i was speaking i was like <laughs> wait up and down <laughs> well yeah yeah and i mean where they live literally gets flooded with water and yeah yeah that, mm -hmm. that's a great movie go watch that movie yes <laughs> yeah yeah and and kim your thoughts for me, I remember reading articles and um, Jordan Peele was like, this is not a movie about race, but like everything's about race. So yeah. I feel like it took place more off screen. Like for me, like as a black woman, seeing this movie cast with just this black family and like dark skinned black family, that's not something you usually see. It's usually like mm -hmm. at least one of the kids is like, you know, the actors are biracial and there's lighter skin, but like they were all dark skin. They all had natural hair and that's like not something you usually see. So like for me, like the representation of that was amazing. And I feel like a lot of people like get out, let white people come in and like see this world. And they're like, okay, I like this director. I feel like there's an idea that if it's a movie that has an all black cast or a mostly black cast, white races or, or, or other people will think, oh, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. And I think this was like a, this is a horror movie that happens to feature black people. This is not a movie that's specifically for black people. This movie is for anyone who enjoys horror. So I think race came into play that way. Yeah. And I, I think clearly lots of people like it of different races. And I, I like what it did for the genre and for opening that world of like, just because there's black people in it and you're not black, it doesn't mean it's not for you. Like this is for anyone. Um, I love that. I also like what Rebecca said about um, the we're Americans. The tethered are lower class they're like the forgotten part they, they get straps she talks about how um red talks about how her kids had to play with she had to play with toys that were like you know cut her and were just terrible and it's like you can only deal with terrible conditions for so long before you rise up mm -hmm. and the power of oppression and a good leader 
and like that's how they got to where they are like i feel like the 80s were the time of like greed you know yes and just like wastefulness and i think about it if if adelaide would wouldn't have been so greedy and would have taken red with her and it would have been like these two twins are now topside would they have gotten where they were Hmm. like she was really greedy in that way and she kind of caused her own problems she could have shared the wealth and taken her her doppelganger top side and like we'll have to explain this some way but like you're here now and you're free and you're no longer oppressed and like i helped you but she didn't do that she just kind of like stole her Hmm. privilege in that way and but at the same time like anyone who's in that position is going to want to get a hold of the access to whatever it is mm-hmm. at any cost they can if they've been pushed that far right and and she had been pushed in the underground her the living conditions were such that it was an extreme enough for her to just be like i need to survive whatever it takes for me yeah. to survive but i just feel like it's not like you know it's not pie like there's enough for everyone especially in a place <laughs> like america like there could have been a sharing of that wealth and the mm-hmm. idea that like I can't share it, it's all for me. And if you have any, then that means I'm gonna have a bad time. It, it doesn't exist. Like they could have coexisted. And yeah, I mean, Red could have just been like, Okay, you go this way, I go that way. And like now you're above ground and you can have a great life too. I, I, I don't know, that it. sounds that sounds too much like socialism. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with socialism? Exactly. Go socialism. Sorry. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, well, really what it is a reflection of is capitalism. That's capitalism right there. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is all about me, 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 and it's not about helping people. And that's, I think, what we're seeing so much right now in society with the pandemic and everything Mm -hmm. after that is what capital, everything we're seeing are the symptoms of capitalism because capitalism to me, that's the disease. And what we're seeing now are the symptoms. That's why, you know, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm a socialist. I'm going to say it. I, I, I'm all for that. I think capitalism is evil. I yeah. think that's what's destroying our country. But anyway, sorry. And <laughs> sorry, Jim. Yeah, I'm saying that, Kim. Sorry. <laughs> but like yeah, Kim I, was saying, the 80s is the perfect representation well, yeah, right? of yeah. this of this period. And and we go through waves of it. You know, it's not like the 80s was the only time we were Ooh. greedy and materialistic. It just happens to be, uh, have come like a full pendulum swing i guess from the whole like 60s free love and everybody like don't have war like make love not war kind of mm-hmm. movement um you see that sort of extreme shift and um but when we think about you know she was a kid in the 80s so what her parents lives were like and and the parents of addie were products of the 80s that like were all about material goods material whatever and and so she was raised with that and what am i trying to say here i like i had a train of thought it was you know she she was raised with that mentality so she doesn't actually know anything different mm-hmm. to even i maybe that's all moot because she is actually red and not adelaide but yeah (laughs) anyway i'll let that go i'm sorry just chop that whole bit out (laughs) no i think you were going somewhere because red being down there knowing nothing at her core she's greedy right like that's your basic 
us survival. as humans, your survival. Yeah, it's this is for me, and like you can't have any, and like I need to take care of myself, and that's what you get when you don't interact with people because the tethered don't really interact with each other like as much as they're with each other they don't really interact so she didn't learn about like caring and sharing and being able to take care of other people so your most human instinct is like all she knew and it was to to take and she took this life essentially Mm -hmm. i think you were going somewhere okay thank you You help me get there. See, this is why this is why we're podcast partners <laughs> and real life friends. <laughs> there you go. No, that's 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 very true. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do think. I mean, I think. Yeah, I can I can see. I think Jordan Peele was definitely like, okay, this isn't going to be. I I think for him, he's like, okay, they're going to pigeonhole me in in Hollywood since I'm a black man, as everything I make is about race. But it is true, like you said, Kim, everything is about race. Class is about race. It involves race. Yeah. It all it all peers through there. The eighties. I mean, ev- everything, you know. So everything kind of kind of peers in there. Did, did you have did you have more to say on class or the eighties or anything else, Kim? I you know, I had to okay. like do some Googling about uh <laughs> um hands across America because I was like, I don't know what this is at all. Like even watching the movie, I was like I, I was born in 86, so I'm just like, I don't know what this oh, is. Okay. So I had to like Google about it. Apparently, like you had to pay to be part of Hands Across America. Yeah, like and yeah, like most charities, like the, the money was like misused. So mm-hmm. it didn't do any good at the end. So I was like, well, I guess these people, the tethered killing people and lining up is like just as useless as Hands Across America was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those, it was a lot of, there were a lot of things like that in the eighties, you know, like, uh, well, there was the start of farm aid, which started mm-hmm. with like Willie Nelson and John Cougar Mellencamp or John Mellencamp now. And that is still going on. And that was to benefit farmers. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing. Cause that's actually doing a lot of things, but there was also comic relief, like I think started around mm-hmm. in the eighties. And so you had a lot of things like this going on. And of course you had um, We Are the World, you know, when that was sung. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So I think it was like the 80s was such a time of greed. And people think that it was also a time of pe- like a lot of affluence. And while that was true for some people, I know for me personally, being raised by a single mom, we definitely were not part of that group. Yeah. But I had a lot of friends that were. I knew a lot mm-hmm. of people that were very wealthy. But I knew a lot of people that were very poor or middle class or stuff like that. And and I think you also had in the 80s, and we talked about this on Poltergeist, actually, uh, you had families that, you know, you had parents that were in the 60s, that were from the 60s, and now they had kids. And it was like you had a lot of people from the 60s become like yuppies. And so, you know, or they, they're called yippies because they were hippies and they became yuppies. So you had a lot of people that were supposed to like kind of save quote unquote save the world and ended up just falling back into the system or paying into the system so then you had like my generation you had generation x which we were like which i still think we're like the forgotten generation frankly but we were kind of the latchkey kids and we were raising ourselves and we were questioning why that's why so much music was angry so many there's a lot of angry music then you know like nirvana and and stuff like that um, and nine inch nails and smashing pumpkins and things like that. It was a lot of, you know, it was like we were raised by people that were supposed to change the world. And here we are living in this horrible world. And we had war going on once, you know, the Gulf Wars. 
So all that kind of stuff. I know that sounds like a tangent, but I think that's kind of what this is also commenting on is that then you'd have things like this with hands across America that were supposed to be so hopeful. Like, look, we're but it was all a scam. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say. I think I think yeah. a lot of the charitable efforts of the 80s were very performative. Yeah. You yes. know, um, and and like you were saying, Aaron, that's that the music, the art, the just the mentality that came out of that for those of us who were, you know, I, I was born in 81. So I'm like one of those cusp kids, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was a latchkey kid for sure. Um, uh, there's, you just got mad that like, this is the world that we got. And yet we didn't have the tools to do anything with it because it was so performative before then. So we had to create those tools, I guess. Uh, because you did, you you look at that now. You look at uh, with with Black Lives Matter, and when that first started, everybody changed their profile mm -hmm. like, to just black square, and it was oh, like yeah. for a few weeks, that's all people did. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm talking about white people. <laughs> that's all we did. A lot of white people, a lot of us. That's what we did. It was we just said, mm -hmm. okay, we're gonna say this. We're gonna say Black Lives Matter, and we're not, but we're not gonna do anything. We're not gonna follow up because it'll make us look good. It's it's. I mean. A lot of white liberalism is like that. A lot of it is that performative nature of. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think it was a perfect time for this film to come out because we mm. have hit that part point in the cycle again, that we are very much like doing a lot of the things that we did in the eighties. I mean, not exactly, you know, we learn a little bit and then we get worse yeah. in other parts, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's a, a lot of parallels there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, I, I love this conversation by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no see that's what that's what good art should do and good movies should do yeah. and yeah yeah and and i do want to go back a little bit to what you were saying kim with with the fact that you know people do think that white audiences will not go and see a film that is not predominantly white when white people say where are we and i'm like um we are everywhere, everywhere else <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there's enough of us around please yeah so I mean, so I think it, it. I think that is something that, unfortunately, studios, and in Hollywood, they do think that's true, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm glad, like a movie like this and like Candyman and stuff, yeah. were successful. Especially Candyman, I think is more important just because that was directed by a black woman. Once again, mm -hmm. even though Jordan Peele produced it, co-wrote it, he did not direct that one. I always want to stress that everyone thinks he did. I don't know. I know. Why. <laughs> Because well. you notice that her Adelaide's dad is Candyman. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh. yeah. I haven't seen the new one yet. I, I watched. I, I've only I seen watched, the original. Yeah. I watched it again, and I was like, "Where do I know that guy from?" And I was like, "Oh my god, Candyman!" Yeah. Okay. Now, how many? <laughs> okay, times that's have twice. Said that? <laughs> no, I think three total because I said it once. Oh, you know, it's five. It's you can't say person, more than though. five. Yeah, it's per yeah. person, right? <laughs> it's per person. <laughs> I don't know. When we record, we did an episode on that. Um, I'm not going to say the name again. Yeah. And we, it was really funny because we were trying to think of different ways to say it. <laughs> say the name. So, the we, evil Willy Wonka? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like sugar, sugar yeah. cane. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of different names we gave. He was a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I so I think it is important when they do. That's why we have to go support mm -hmm. <laughs> these movies to make sure because everybody deserves to see themselves on screen. And I mean, it doesn't 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 matter. I mean, 
you know, that's, I know it's, it shouldn't, but it, it, it shouldn't. But it does. Well, that's why yeah, um, you know. va- Vampires versus the Bronx. Oh, yeah, that's oh, that great. So it was so good, but I wish yeah. it had been a theatrical release. But I mean, did it come yeah. out during the pandemic? I don't even remember now. I don't remember because it was everything a is a blur. Movie, so oh, it was a I Netflix don't... movie, so yeah. it just went to Netflix. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know that like seeing the representation in that film and 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 just like the storyline itself was kind of like okay yeah you know it's a vampire story it's about Mm -hmm. capitalism and sucking the gentrification gentrification (laughs) but the story didn't have to be complex it was just being able to see that story told exactly with bodies that we haven't seen that story told Mm -hmm. with before I think the same thing is true of uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of people expected... I, I remember reading reviews like, well, this is just some romantic comedy. It's like, yeah, it is. But it's people we don't normally see in romantic comedies. And exactly. it's funny. And it was good. It didn't have to, you know, like, break the... the break, like, the movie mold. Like, this was just a film. And it was and it, very good. It didn't have to be... Exactly. ...a story about... Like, so we... This comes up a lot in the the Latinx community. It didn't have to be a story about the woes of the Latinx community. Mm-hmm. It was just a story yeah. that happens yeah. to have Latinos in it. Like, mm-hmm. let it happen. It doesn't have yeah. to be like, yeah. I think that, and a lot of the response to that kind of thing comes from white audiences who are expected to expecting to have their hand held to learn about the experiences of people yeah. different from themselves. Like their guide through the Asian community, and they were disappointed that they didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, or, or some sort of like Asian pain, like right. Was, yeah, there's a lot of black yeah. pain that happens in things, yeah. and I'm kind of over it. Like I, I, this movie was great because it wasn't. There was no slavery. There was no, you know, no one was raped or anything. Like it wasn't about black people having a horrible time because white people had a horrible time too. Like they were also murdered. So. I, I like the idea of just having a movie with a diverse cast and it's not mm-hmm. about the fact that they're their race. Right. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not trauma porn basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's no. not like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, and you don't have like a white savior come in either. Ooh, yeah. I, that's what I, I, I thought that that's what uh, that family was going to be. Elizabeth Moss's family. But then I remembered who the director was and I was like, oh, that's not <laughs> Yeah, I was like, if oh, it had been... get on their boat and save them, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it had been a white director, it probably would have been focused more on Elizabeth Moss's family anyway. Oh, yeah. So you know, or and writer too. That's why it's important not just to have representation in front of the camera, but behind mm-hmm. and at every level because yeah. absolutely, including makeup and hair. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they did a really good job with makeup and and lighting. The lighting in this movie is fantastic. It's so good. Like the skin tone like reflects really well. Like it's it's really good. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I agree. Well, we've already kind of talked about the ending that it is revealed that Adelaide was actually originally the tethered, originally red and then when they were kids, she basically kidnapped her other version, her up on above ground version made her stay down there and then came up and lived her life out. So what are your thoughts on that ending, Bex? Did you like the ending? I I loved the ending because I love endings that don't 
wrap things up in tiny like tidy little bows like i i love an open-ended make you think about what could happen next but i also don't need a sequel kind of endings <laughs> you know it wasn't so open-ended in that regard what fascinated me was this idea of like okay so throughout the whole movie we're rooting for these above ground versions right mm -hmm. you know because well the underground people are coming with scissors and trying to stab them and murder them so of course you're you're rooting for the others who are seemingly unaware of of this situation but in the end it is actually the one who was originally the above ground adelaide the the little girl she mm -hmm. was originally above ground and she's the one who gets killed and it is the tethered who is now or and has been above ground and 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 lives and survives and gets to be out in the world and it's kind of like okay underground Addie was definitely not their mother not Gabe's wife not you know she she had lost i'm going to assume like 30 years of her life mm -hmm. to this underground world so can you really root for her but also she was a victim in the beginning who's just trying to fight back so like not not having a clear cut like oh yay i'm glad they killed her because she was the bad guy like i i love that gray area um and and this like idea of nature versus nurture comes uh, yeah. into play which is interesting and i think it may be in terms of like adopted children or foster children or something like that where you spend part of your life in one situation and then your your circumstances change and you're given different uh conditions to live in for later parts of your life you don't forget what happened in those formative years um you don't forget that you didn't have or that you used to have or that you know whatever it is so i think I think that was really fascinating, this idea of, of nature versus nurture, because they each had a little bit of both in them. Uh, mm -hmm. They both had some underground to them, and they both had some, like, topside, <laughs> to use <laughs> supernatural terms. Um, <laughs> you know, the the above ground, for, and, and it's weird, because I don't know whether to call her Red or Adelaide. Like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the, the one who who was there from ages eight on, or I think she was eight, right? I believe. Uh, something like that. So, the one who was there from from like childhood on, she had these opportunities and was able to improve. We see that she was nurtured in a way that she never could have been nurtured without access to, you know, good food, good toys, you know, whatever it was, an education. Um, but to me, hands down, the creepiest part is that that look that she gives jason in that last scene where she's just like she grins at him with that creepy she underground does. grin even though she's not you know it's just and he knows but he also is like well what do i do because this is my mom but like yeah. my mom yeah. puts the mask yeah. down and is like nope gonna hide right now not gonna not gonna deal with this <laughs> can't cope <laughs> i loved the ending though absolutely loved it I know, Kim, you said in the beginning you were disappointed that you were correct. Is that because you didn't like the ending or just because you had figured it out so quickly? So I didn't like the ending at first because I felt like bamboozled. 
I had been rooting for this person who turned out to be the villain. And I feel like that's why I, I talked to other people who were like, oh, I don't know if I liked it. But like, as I watched it again, and as I like sat with it, I did like the ending. Um, it felt like Adelaide caused her own problems. And I really like the idea of that. Um, if she wouldn't have tried to leave where she was, they wouldn't have been in the situation they were in. Like she would have never known, you know, this family yeah. and this life. Um, so I did really like the ending. I liked how there were hints to it all along. Like I noticed this thing where like she was wearing all white and like as the night went on, she got redder and redder and like her jumpsuit, her outfit kind of almost looked like their jumpsuit at the end. And like she became them, like she mm -hmm. became very, or she kind of like code switching. Like she was her regular self and then became very feral, like how she was as a child, especially when she kills um one of the twins uh, at Elizabeth Moss's house she's grunting and she's growling and then Jason sees her too and it's just she straightens yeah. up and he's like we have to get out of here and then at the end where she kills Red it's hyper violent it's so violent because she stabs her and that could be the end of it she could just you know watch her die but she decides to like wrap her arms around her neck and like chokes her like she breaks her neck like mm -hmm. it's just so violent but it seemed like she was making a point like this is what happens when you try to rise above your station like you should be here um so i did really like the ending but it was also terrifying and it's like what is anything <laughs> that's how i felt when it was over i was like we've been lied to what is anything but i loved it i loved it i loved that feeling of it didn't just leave me like it was like a day later that i was just like oh like if she was this from the beginning it wouldn't have been like this and it, it, it took days to like settle and I love movies like that. Like it didn't leave me right away. Yeah. So I think it was a fantastic movie and I love the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved a lot of that analysis from both of you. It's just really, really great analysis, analysis of it. Excuse me. Because yeah, I, I remember I loved the ending when I saw it because I, I like endings like that. Uh, sometimes twist endings can be too much. I'm looking at you, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> it was good in the sixth sense after yeah. that. You don't yeah. love the village so much? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you know, because then it be can become like a um, a little annoying and a cliche. And stuff. Also, you and end it, up spending but... too much time trying to figure out the exactly. trick ending or instead of just enjoying yeah. the movie. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it worked really well in this. I think it was very clever. And I think when you go back and watch it again, you are, because you already know the twist, so you're already looking for those little hints and those little things and, you know, like the grunting and everything like that, that, that kind of hints to that. Um, and it does lead to a question where you are questioning yourself if you can still root for this character after what you know. Because at the same time, even though she did this horrible thing, She's raised these amazing kids. Mm -hmm. She seems to be a good mother. She seems to be a good wife. So it is kind of this, you have to kind of question that and go, okay, well, but should I support her? Because she did this mm -hmm. horrible thing and she viciously murdered the person that she did this horrible thing to. But yet that person had changed too because they were down in captivity, basically. I mean, you know, so... It's hard. It's hard. It's a hard thing. And I like that. I like morality when you're trying to question your morality and what she would do in that situation. And I think for her son, Jason, that is the biggest question right there is, can I still trust my mom? Can yes. I still love my mom? Is my mom someone that will still protect me? And I think that's part of the reason he pulls down the mask is that mm -hmm. shield and protection because he's not sure what to do either. 
And the creepiest smile, though, in the whole movie is Adelaide as a kid in the backseat of the car when oh, her parents yeah. are talking. And you see that smile. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so creepy. That was Very creepy. Creepy children are creepy. Yes, like the creepiest. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, actually, is how creepy kids are creepier than anything else. Yes. And that smile was bone chilling. Seriously. It was just, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Madison Curry plays the played that role, the young Adelaide. And she was incredible, too. But, yeah, yeah, just the way she did that smile and her parents are all distressed in the front seat or not really technically her parents. So yeah. that was, yeah. 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 So it, it is it is a question of, you know can you still support this person? Would you still want the rest of her family to be with her knowing this? So you do wonder, I'm glad. I mean, I would never want a sequel to this. So I'm glad we will never have that answer. No, <laughs> I'm hoping we'll never have that answer. I don't know. So unnecessary. It, it would be so terrible. I, yeah. I don't want, yeah, it's so, it's much better up to your interpretation. Then like, what do they do with all the tethered that are just holding hands across America still? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's well, really scary. you see the helicopter flying above, so you don't know mm -hmm. if maybe something's going to happen there. You don't know. And I like that better yes. than if everything had been peachy keen at the end, or mm -hmm. even if everything had been horrible at the end. I think it was better to leave it open-ended so that, you know, you know, what I like about this movie is it treats the audience like the audience is intelligent and smart. So yes. it's not dumbing yeah. down things for the audience. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, if you can be a willing, if you can be a participant in what you're viewing, I think that makes a difference. So, yeah, Amazing. I think that is incredible. Yeah. Well, this wasn't on the outline, but since we have some time, I just wanted to know, Bex, because this was written, directed by Jordan Peele and Jordan Peele is an amazing addition to this genre, I think in general. And he also, I want to say in every movie, and I think I think comedy is a great thing to add in horror anyway. I think comedy and horror go really well together. So he yes. does add that in because of his comedic background. But what would you, I mean, are you, because he's doing another movie right now. Is it called Nope? I think so. Yes. No. I, yeah, yes. And because, um, yeah, because Daniel Kaluuya is coming back and mm -hmm. which I'm excited about that because we've raved about him on a couple episodes. Of Isn't course, there it. like a thing though with him and or not just him, but the idea of like British black actors playing African American characters? Is that like a that's like a thing, right? I know the only time I heard about it was with um oh I can't remember the actress's name, but she played Harriet Tudman and she's British and people were mad about that. But Cynthia Arivia, Arivo, yes. Arivo, yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, people were mad about that, but I don't, I don't know. It's it's a black person getting a role as a black person. I'm 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 always gonna be fine with yeah. that. So, and I mean, Daniel Clay is a really good actor. So oh. I don't care where he's from. He's such a good actor. <laughs> yeah, and talk about dreamy. Yeah. Plus, plus when you get to hear his accent too, sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes him even more dreamy. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 oh my gosh, he's so incredible. So, so I'm excited about that one. So, so Bex, are you a huge fan of what he has done so far in this? So far, genre? yes, and I would definitely go see another one that he wrote and directed, uh, as well as produce. You know, like when he produces it, it's it's kind of like you get that with Guillermo del Toro. Like sometimes he produces movies that he's not really as involved in, and they're like 
okay. But they use his name to sell it. And I think they're doing that a lot with Jordan Peele as well. And not to say that those movies aren't good. I'm sure many of them are. But um, he's given me two works so far that I absolutely trust. I never get to see his version of The Twilight Zone because that's a streaming service I don't have. But I yeah, I would, I would definitely, you know, unless I heard everything was terrible, like from reviewers, uh, black reviewers, <laughs> then I would probably go see it without any questions, really. Yeah. Okay. Same. I'm basically going to see anything he puts out. Yeah. And that movie we were talking about, nope. Like, it's got Kiki Palmer in it. It's got Stephen Ewan. Like, yeah, it's awesome. going to be good. It's I, Even if it's not, I'm going to go see it. Like, he has my money indefinitely. Like, <laughs> he's so great. Talking about capitalism. He take my money. Take my money. It's totally fun. Take my money. <laughs> Yeah, no, d- ditto, ditto. And I don't know if you've seen. You should look up the poster. Did you did you see the poster backs for, I did. for no? Yeah, did you? Yeah. See, you saw it. Yeah, because it almost looks like I don't know if I mean it gives you aliens? the feeling of like aliens. <laughs> yeah, there's like a kite thing. I I'm, I'm very not saying interested. it's aliens, but it's aliens. No, so. I'm <laughs> yes. Super, I like that it has a release date already, and I don't know anything about it besides this poster and three people uh-huh. who are in it. Like. But like I take my money. Like, should I request that day off from work so I can just go see it? <laughs> should I request that day off from work? <laughs> well, the, the perk of the perk of um, in being in New York, anyways, we usually get to see them on Thursdays if we yeah. want to. So, like, right yeah. after work, you can go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get that too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. It's in post production. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited for it. Yeah, ditto, all of that. I think, And I think I might go back to the downtown Brooklyn cinema to see it instead of seeing it in, in my neighborhood. <laughs> I, sh- I usually see things at Alamo. So, like, there's not a lot of reaction, like, allowed. You know, people have to be quiet yeah. there. Um, and I feel like I do miss the uh, the natural audience, like, Energy. freaking out about Yeah, I miss that. But I, I like the snacks and the reclined seats at Alamo. But... <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe I'll go see it once somewhere else and then see it like again at Alamo. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does make a difference. I think I think with horror more than anything, horror yeah. is something that's really fun to see with a large audience that's mm-hmm. reacting to it. I don't know. I think that's like uh, seeing Halloween Kills recently with a big audience was fun. And yeah. then like one of the funnest ever was seeing Freddy versus Jason with a packed audience. That was hilarious because you could tell who was rooting for Jason and who was rooting for <laughs> So not horror, but um, I recently saw the new Ghostbusters movie at oh. Comic-Con mm-hmm. in New York. And it was that same thing. Everybody went to that panel, whether like I didn't know we were going to watch the whole movie. That was a surprise to me. But um, everybody went to that panel because they were Ghostbusters fans. So yeah. you had that energy in the audience already that you might not have in just a small theater with like 50 people or 30 people or whatever. And so I feel like that's going to be the same thing with a Jordan Peele film in some of the more traditional theaters. Cause I also go to, it's not Alamo, but it's a similar, like one of those dinner movie yeah. theaters. Cause it's in walking distance to my house. So of course I'm going to go there. But I think I make an exception for this one and see it in a a larger theater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how was Ghostbusters, by the way? It's awesome. It's got, uh, it's got, I I absolutely loved it. I think it's got some great stuff for new fans and it's got plenty of nostalgia for old fans. So, uh, but no spoilers because, well, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it hasn't even come out yet. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming out November 19th. So if you haven't gotten, if, if you are thinking about seeing it, weighing your options, I definitely encourage you to do it, especially, especially like I can only speak as someone who was a fan of Ghostbusters growing up. Yeah. Like it, it definitely is going to hit all the sweet spots for uh, nostalgia. And we are going to be doing an episode talking about Ghostbusters. I haven't decided yet. It'll probably be a patron one, a Patreon exclusive like bonus episode, just to let you know. So that's another reason to subscribe and become a yes. patron supporter. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank both of you so much. I thought this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed diving into this movie more. So thank you both for being on. So we'll go ahead and close out. And Bex, if you just want to tell everybody where they can be found. And then the podcast that you and Kim. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Um, so you can find me. Uh, I'm on Twitter all the time on one of my many, many accounts. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I live, I live there, but my regular posts just for me are at a single man tier, which is a supernatural reference, but my profile mm -hmm. stuff is all Ted Lasso right now. I just can't bring myself <laughs> to change my handle. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't bring myself to open another account. So that's what's happening there. Uh, I actually host two podcasts. So aside from the one that I host with Kim, I host a podcast called Latinx Visions. It is a Latinx uh, literature, film, television analysis that I do with a colleague of mine at Brute College. We're both professors in the Black and Latino Studies Department. Uh, so you can find us at Latinx Visions on that. And I do the Twitter for our podcast, which is Big Reputations. And the handle for the Twitter is at Big Rep Pod. Kim does the Instagram, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I live on Instagram as you live on Twitter. Uh, so my Instagram handle is Kimplaints underscore NYC. Um, so I'm there constantly. Um, but I also do our big reputations one. And that one is big reputations pod. So we post a lot of stuff about our podcast on there too. Yes. We, yeah. you said this episode is coming out Friday, Friday, mm -hmm. this Friday. Yep. Okay. Friday so we have an episode that just came out this week on Anne Boleyn. If you want mm -hmm. to check that awesome. out. Awesome. Yeah, because your podcast covers a lot of uh, women and who, who may have a reputation, right, mm -hmm. through history. Yes. Like, did you do a Monica Lewinsky one too? We did. Yeah, that yeah. was our first episode. We did. That was actually what started the whole podcast. Like, we were just like, oh man, people get such like, a rough break. Like, that's half the stuff that's out about them is not even true. And we're like, like Monica Lewinsky, and we're like, yeah, we should like do a podcast. And it was like, <laughs> oh, let's just see what we do with Monica Lewinsky and. It was so fun to do, and we like uncovered so many great things about her that people don't know. So, and now we have a list a mile long of names. Yeah. Um, we 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 do primarily focus on real world women. Mm -hmm. um, Anne Boleyn is our first venture into uh, anything before the twentieth century, but we also do fictional characters now and again. And then occasionally we'll take on like a big topic. So we did one on what women wear where we discussed a lot about pockets <laughs> and um, pockets but yeah. also like judging judging women for what they wear in general and why why do we do it and and what sort of access to clothing we have in the first place so there's a, a lot of things we tackle but it primarily focuses on real world women and the the way in which society judge them a bit too harshly without knowing the whole truth
But this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. I'm still on my Finn Whitrock click kick. I do not foresee this going away anytime soon. We made a YouTube clip. It's titled <laughs> Finn Whitrock Supercut. And <laughs> go to our YouTube channel. I cannot believe I wasted so much time making this. But the thing, it's, it's clips from our red tie discussion, which was basically just the Finn Whitrock show. And we just spent the time talking about Finn Whitrock. And so I, I pieced together little clips from that. It's just like two minutes and like 34 seconds. And then I put a little thing at the end that I literally spent 30 minutes putting together <laughs> in Canva. And I still can't believe I wasted 30 minutes doing that when I should have been doing ed editing and other stuff. But I hate editing. So, <laughs> so yeah. So I'm still on that kick. I don't know when that'll be going away because that's the way I am. I get on a kick and then something else comes along. So who knows? Maybe somebody else's hair will catch my fancy and then I'll get on another kick. <laughs> Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. I think Aaron and I are the other Aaron and I are getting very, very good at TikTok sort of. <laughs> We still feel old. I still feel old. I'm kind of addicted to TikTok now, though. Watching Teach other me videos. Your ways. And... What? Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I spent I... three hours making one TikTok, and I was like, we're never doing this again. <laughs> I, I still don't know the other Erin, Erin um, Amos, who she's she's like my producer now. Um, she did like a couple of TikToks that she did spend. She said I spent like two hours making this, but she had fun doing it. I just kind of put up fun little clips mm -hmm. that don't take that long. But I still don't get it. I honestly don't. I don't get why certain it's all about hashtags and the music you choose, yeah. I guess, because I've watched videos on there that are like, why does this have over 100,000 views yeah. and 40,000 comments? And it's just someone like literally in the same reign as like putting mayo on your bread. I'm like, <laughs> it's so weird. It's the timing and it's the hashtags. It's so I many know. things that like are involved and. It's too much well, for me. I, I just too old. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so yeah. yeah so really old. But anyway, that's why we need to we need to get a Patreon so that we can pay someone to do the TikToks yeah. for. Us. There you go. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. <laughs> pay someone to do it. Yep. But um, next week we do have an interview coming up with a writer who wrote a different take on um, Sleepy Hollow, the Sleepy Hollow story. So I guess we're still kind of horror. <laughs> for the interview and then we're going to be talking about going to conventions so that'll be interesting just talking to people that go to conventions a lot and what that experience is like uh conventions are back now so yeah so we'll be talking a lot about that so that should be fun so until next time remember it's a fandom thing black lives matter and stop asian hate It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.